and welcome to episode 12 of the Cast of Caw, where we talk all things related to the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. I'm your host, Rachel, and joining me is the other half of my quartet, the one and only DJ. Uh, this quartet here is also uh, Bitcoin mining, just a FYI. <laughs> what exactly? Okay, now this is where I show that I'm like an old lady who does not understand the future. What, like, how do you bitcoin mine like i get gold farming because it's like fictional money but isn't bitcoin like actual money uh it's it's a uh, cryptocurrency so you're really just um uh doing uh ledger accounting for m- transactions that are made on the internet so each time you do one of those ledger transactions to record a transfer of funds from one place to another you perform a mathematical algorithm uh, to validate that transfer of funds and charge a small fee to the people who are transferring funds. Nice. <laughs> always on the hustle, DJ. That's one of the things I love about you. You're but, always on the hustle. Nice, anyway, nice. back to Anyway, back Stephen to Dark King. Tower. I'll cut all that out in post, but I, I just needed to know because I've, I've been hearing this Bitcoin thing and I was like, I don't know. So, plan for this week. We're going to kick off the show with an in-depth conversation about the ladies of, Lady of Shadows, Chapter 1, Dutta and Odetta. The uh, Lady of the Tramp is more like it. Ugh, this is the, I'm just going to put this out here. I've been dreading this chapter, but I think we have to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> so we will. <laughs> so cringeworthy. It is so cringy for so many reasons, but yeah. So after we get through that... We have um, a couple of other sections. Usually we have a connections to the Stephen King universe section. And we do, but it's actually going to be a little bit different. When we get into like our listener mail, there's some stuff about connections that I think technically would fit into this. But I also thought it would be fun to incorporate a fan theory that connects to something in this chapter that I found while, you know, in the internet. So we'll go into that. Um, And then we have tons of news movie news this week actually it's been we're getting really close to the release and so more and more stuff is coming out plus we had comic-con this weekend so there's stuff to go over in that and then we'll close out the show with uh, our listener feedback and yeah it's gonna be like a full exciting show this week once we get through the chapter (laughs) (laughs) all right so dj remind our listeners who may have stumbled upon us and are new what our spoiler policy is as usual, guys, we will draw a hard line in the sand uh, where the caw stops and the caca begins if we were going to spoil <laughs> anything for you. Uh, so keep that in mind. Um, do re- remind you guys that we are covering the chapter, so if you haven't read it yet, that will be spoiled for you. But otherwise, any movie uh, or related news that could possibly spoil future chapters will be on the other side of the spoiler zone. So keep an ear out for that if you do not want anything in future books to be spoiled for you spoiled yes 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 rachel did we get any new reviews this week dj i'm so glad you asked we did get some new reviews talked about this last week but one of the best ways that you can show your support of the show so that other people can find us is to review us on itunes and so to thank you for that we thought we would spotlight it when it does happen and we did get a couple of new ones this week So I'm going to read you. They're both really nice. And like I said, I promise we'll read the bad ones too. We won't enjoy it as much, but we will do it. So uh, our first new review comes from Nacho Beach, which has to be the best name, right? (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, I'm, I'm good with that. It sounds nice. Natobish. I don't know many others that have read this series, so finally getting to hear people discuss it and add nuance that I never would have gotten on my own is absolutely wonderful. Thank you. I definitely need emotional support every time when it comes to finishing the last books so I can get through the hard parts with the hosts this time around. God, that's so true. Like, it was such a lonely, sad journey the first time through that last book. Like, I'm going to be <laughs> leaning on you and the, and the listeners when we get there. Ooh, rough stuff oh, ahead. Man. And then we got another wonderful review from Ty the Tree Guy. What? So, I, I think like this, that title. That's, that's good. I feel like it's a pseudonym for the Lorax. What do you think? Is the Lorax a listener? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite possible, Rachel. Okay, so this podcast is so much fun. Not only do they go through chapter by chapter, helping me to relive the story, but bring new things to light. It's been almost 10 years uh, so I finished the se- since I finished the series, and listening to them brings me back to being immersed in the world. This was a series of books that got me addicted to reading again, and I just lis- love listening to the way they break down the, cha- the series chapter by chapter. So thank you so much, Nacho Bish and Ty the Tree Guy. It means the world to us that you are listening, enjoying the show, and that you took the time to leave us a review. So thank you. Also, you have awesome names, both of you. (laughs) So if you, other listeners, would like to hear your reviews on the show, you know what to do. Leave us a review on iTunes. All All right. right. So dig in. Yeah, dig in deep and step on those for special plates. No! Oh, man. Um, okay, so where we left off, uh, basically, uh, Roland uh, was confronted with a gun that Eddie was holding, and uh, they were looking into the next door, and we transition to the Woman of Shadows. Uh, we find ourselves... Uh, back in time, and this chapter does jump around a bit uh, forward and backward through our new character, uh, Detta Walker and Ode. Well, I guess, Rachel, do I start with Odetta Holmes? I think and... Odetta Holmes is like her public per- persona, and Detta is the secondary one. I wish so, they yeah. would almost, I wish they'd use like a more distinct name between these, because when you, you read Odetta and Detta, like sometimes my mind just puts the two together and you're like kind of appalled at what Odetta's getting up to. And then you're wait, like, wait a minute. Oh, that's her alter ego. Okay. Like, well, I wasn't paying enough attention to the names and I got lost there. It always uh, makes me think of like, you know how people have like a alter drinking alter ego. Oh, like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like that's kind of like what Detta and Odetta is to me. Like that guy that's no fun at all, like becomes fun guy whenever he, like Rachel is on the podcast and Raquel was who I was this weekend when we recorded the Resident Evil song. <laughs> 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 Thank God most of that got deleted, <laughs> but moving on. <laughs> All right. So basically uh, we're introduced to Odetta Holmes, uh, who is a rather well-off lady that uh, uh, inherited a fortune from her father who uh, basically was the king of um, some sort of dental implant company. Uh, the gist of it is that uh, Odetta gets to ride around in uh, uh, limousines. And the reason I'm, I'm telling you this is because this is set up a little bit later, but our first scene basically opens with Odetta being driven around by her, I guess, butler slash driver. Her driver, slash... Andrew, yeah. And yeah. and Andrew and Odetta are having this sort of deep uh, conversation. And, and this, actually, Stephen King's sort of setting up the time frame 
uh, JFK was recently killed. And there's the mention that uh, maybe, you know, JFK could be the last gunslinger. And uh, Odetta sort of has this visceral reaction to her driver who... Andrew's like this kind of um, Irish, not simple guy, but like conspiracy-ish, goofy (laughs) uncle type of guy is what you sort of get out of this. Like he believes in UFOs, which he refers to as UFOs. And, you know, uh, know, uh, has like half-baked ideas about political views and so on. And you sort of start to get to a feeling that he's been with Odetta for so long that they almost have like a family uh, relationship between them. Mm -hmm. And uh, she still sort of reacts uh, strangely to this gunslinger statement. And then we get sort of a view of Andrew kind of being... Uh, almost like timid and a little bit um, like he feels like he may have crossed the line with this conversational topic. And Odetta gets sort of uh, sensitive about it. Like, I don't believe he was a gunslinger at all. And she sort of like uh, uh, confronts him a little bit and like gets on his case. And then right away we get this weird thing where it's like, okay, now we're inside of her head. And she's like kind of arguing with herself about whether or not she believes that he's the, the last gunslinger. And then verbally, she's, you know, naming off uh, some of these other folks uh, and and they're discussing, you know, maybe is uh, uh, what's the leader from uh, Cuba? Castro. Castro. Yeah. Fidel Fidel Castro. Castro. (laughs) We got there. (laughs) Uh, So she's naming off uh, Fidel Castro and and, and a few other people. And and Andrew kind of makes this interesting statement that said, yeah, those guys are all sort of gunslingers, but JFK was sort of the type of guy that had the guns, but he wouldn't draw them unless he needed to protect somebody or he thought it was the right thing to do. And that's sort of this interesting thing that they're setting up in in Odetta's world about how the world is sort of falling apart in the same way that the gunslinger's world Mm -hmm. has sort of fallen apart. And that when you think about the history of any of these worlds and how they sort of blend together, there's milestones like this that set forth the pace at which each of these different worlds sort of deteriorate. And I thought that was an important point uh, at the beginning of this. And it sort of like struck me. And so we move on from there. Um, We find out that uh, uh, Miss Holmes, as Andrew refers to her, is – sort of in the protest movement for civil rights. And uh, she sort of um, had just been at an event and gotten thrown in jail. And uh, she gets a little graphic with her description of what happens and and sort of this like fatherly or not fatherly, but more like uncle-y figure, family figure that Andrew presents. She sort of goes overboard and tells him like, they held us there for long enough that, you know, we couldn't help it anymore, but to, to urinate in our own pants and it's you know i I know this sort of thing happened to it but a lot of the this chapter i find you're just kind of like it makes you makes you cringe compared to the rest of the books Mm -hmm. in a way that i wasn't expecting and when you were reading that uh that review earlier it's like yeah you're right you know some of these chapters i probably would have skipped if i were forced to read these you know by myself (laughs) if i didn't have to go talk about this i probably would have just like glazed past this one onto something that was a little bit better 
Yeah. And not that this isn't a bad chapter. You know, you have to introduce the character. But, man, like, a lot of this is, like, I don't know. It's a little uncomfortable. And in this situation is a good example. Andrew sort of struggles and, like, she makes him feel uncomfortable, describes how they were sort of mistreated, and then she kind of um, has this sort of, like, how would you describe uh, living in a nice neighborhood but um, not wanting, uh, you know, kind of being um, upset at the other folks that live there because they don't want you in their neighborhood because they're racist folks and Well, and yeah, so she, she, calls, she says she knows her neighbors think she's a blockbuster, which means that she's, like, the first African-American person to live in this white neighborhood. And so, like, it's this weird tension of being in a very, even though she's in the North, still a very, like, economically segregated community um, yeah. and feel, but also having the privilege of wealth. And how, like, normally those... someone of color would only be in that neighborhood if they were wearing white gloves or something like exactly. that, I think is the statement. Exactly. And, and Rachel and I, before we we started in on this uh, chapter, did go look to see when this, uh, this book was written. And it was uh, 1987, if I remember correctly, Rachel. Yeah. So uh, some of this is from a time that's b- before you know we were really thinking in that manner politically or mm-hmm. uh, about the world and it's hard to say that um uh that uh, it wasn't like that at that time because i really wasn't you know alive or you know really thinking about that sort of thing and i actually lived in a community where i was the only white kid so i didn't even know there were other white folks until i moved out of waco texas Really? That's that's so interesting. I always think that's always very interesting. Um, when you get used to it, like, and you go somewhere else. So uh, some of the descriptions of racism and stuff, like, I, I, you know, I never experienced it growing up because most of it was directed towards me and not towards, you know. But I, I think that's great. I think that's awesome that you, it, it, it's such an, like, empathy building experience to have actually had a minority experience in your life. Most people don't, most white cisgender dudes do not experience that. So it's probably been a very, I mean, this is not this kind of show that we're going to be talking about it, but I actually feel like that informs things about you to me that I, like, I, I feel like I know you a little better and understand you a little better from that story. Uh, well, anyway, the, the, again, as Rachel said, we're not meant to dive too deeply into our no. personal histories, but uh, I have a little bit of trouble relating to this sort of uh, racism just because of that. So it's it, it it's sort of offensive to me when I read through this. Like, well, I mean, racism people is are, very offensive. <laughs> uh, it's just, I, I mean, I know, I know even. Then, like, it's just, it's inappropriate, and it really makes me angry when I read it, so. Yeah. Oh, yes, definitely. Uh, And I think there's a couple of factors here, and this is something we kind of talked about a little bit, and I was planning on talking about this end, but we can talk a little bit right here at the beginning, like, why I'm getting, like, deep No, 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 I mean, the elephant is in the room, let's have the conversation, and then we can, you know, but I think there's a couple of things here going. He's talking about, like, a really dark chapter of American history, all the Jim Crow stuff. But and it's also but the other part of it that makes it additionally cringy is that Stephen King is someone who I think 
has the best intentions. Like, you follow him on Twitter, you kind of know politically where he's at. Like, he's a very progressive dude. Um, and I think that he wants to be inclusive when he writes, and he wants to include Black stories and Black characters, and I think that's great. However, <laughs> I do get the sense that he is, like, a very, you know wealthy white dude from Maine. And so he's relying on a, little, a lot of stereotypes and a lot of depictions of in pop culture from like the, you know, from the 70s and exploitation era and all of that kind of stuff to craft these characters. And so what ends up happening is you have a character that he's trying to probably have like a, a good message about or trying to make sort of a morally complex character. But it tends to read a little tone deaf it, and it's really uncomfortable when well, you're reading Well, if you think it. about, and I mentioned this before we started the show, but if, if you think about the few uh, African-American women characters that you have in Stephen King books, like the stand immediately comes to mind. And it's like, you think about uh, um, the lady in Nebraska that sort of brings everybody together and the, the, the characters almost feel like they're written exactly the same. In well, a way that's like close yeah. enough that I'm like, I mean, not the Deda part, but the Odetta part is sort mm -hmm. of like it, it. That's what it harkened to for me, and I, I kind of was like, uh, are these supposed to be like your similar characters, or you know, is there a relation somehow that I missed, or is that just how Stephen King writes? Yeah, I mean, he has a tendency to fall back on some really unfortunate tropes. Um, we talked a little bit about the sh before the show about the the magical Negro trope, which is like this character who is um, an African American character who is either like physically or mentally disabled, in kind of disabled in some way, but they or they have like mystical wisdom, and that they they basically serve the plot in terms of like providing information and motivation and character growth for the white lead character the and the shining um, the shining the stand the stand uh, the green mile the green mile yep I oh mean, i forgot about the green mile yeah oh john coffee is like the ultimate of yeah that trope. oh man and so like i said like i think he is writing what is in his mind to be very heroic complex characters without realizing that he's falling back on these stereotypes. Well, no, um, uh, the question I, I have to ask you while we're on this topic and then we can divulge, but uh, is that just because of our perspective and the time frame in which we grew up? Would this stuff be less tone deaf to someone oh, sure. that is Stephen King's age that grew up in like the sixties or the seventies? I'm sure. I, I, th I think like something like this. Uh, and when I talk about cringing at some of the, uh, racial epitaphs in this it's it's maybe it's just because i grew up in a time in a place where that wasn't really a thing and then to to hear it or to see it or even you know to know that it's out there like makes me really mad at the world but if i had experienced that sort of visceral in real life for a long time and then it slowly drifted away i don't know if i'd be as shocked if i you know uh, heard someone being racist or offensive, you know, because it'd be something that you'd heard. I mean, I would still be upset about it, but I don't know. It might hit me in a different way. Huh. Um, I don't know if that's if I'm going too far out there. No, I, no, no. I, I'm trying to. I'm guess I'm trying to. I thought you were going to say something else, and so I, I'm trying to. So you think the reason that this is upsetting and cringy for you is because you have had very little contact with, like, personal contact with like overt racism. 
Yeah, I, I don't know anybody that I work with or talk to that's racist. I've always sort of surrounded myself with people that, you know, are, are I feel like decent. Racism but- is a spectrum. You know what I mean? Like we're, this end of the spectrum is the really obvious stuff. You know, this is the this is the stereotypes racism. And this is like the kind of racism that gives casual or like uh, casual racism kind of like cover. And so when people talk about things like current day racism or systemic racism or microaggressive racism, like mm-hmm. people can fall back on this and be like, we're not racist. We don't, you know, we never burned, burned across. You know what I mean? So there's that, but that's a totally different topic. I think here's the thing is I think when this was written in 1987, the way that, was that we were aggressive. Well, yeah. And the way, I mean, it, I think it was sort of, it wasn't even progressive so much as it was just sort of, neutral you know what i mean the kinds of conversations that are important that we're having about race now um are so totally not even a like a a thing at that point in terms of like the monoculture so uh i don't like i don't think that stephen king had ill intent i just think that some things don't age very well and this character does not age well that's all does that make sense? Uh, yeah, now um getting completely away from that particular bit and on to mm-hmm. something a little more um uh fun. Uh the one thing I do like about uh Detta and Odetta is that uh you can tell that there's an edge to Odetta even if it's not as edgy and bad girl as Detta. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up cuz like I do think that that is in this section, one of the most interesting things is when she has this moment where she cannot resist the urge to kind of blurt out something that is intentionally shocking. And then later when she tries to feign sort of disagreement with the kind of philosophy of the gunslinger, and she kind of has this um, affectation of like, oh, no, I disagree. But inside, she has this internal voice that she is so familiar with that she's given a name to called the goad that tells her that she's lying to herself. So even though she has this like perception of being sort of a very proper lady, there's still an internal struggle where you can see like where the data in her begins. This chapter actually opens with a little preface, like a little three or four sentence section there's a quote from adler his name's alfred adler there's this quote at the beginning and it says stripped of jargons jargon what adler said was this the perfect schizophrenic if there was such a person would be a man or woman unaware of his other persona uh he is unaware that anything was amiss in his or her life adler should have known detta walker and odetta holmes so so that that's kind of a misnomer, though, because um, Odetta may not have much knowledge of Detta, but Detta has a sinking suspicion that Odetta exists all the way through, you know, her consciousness. Yeah, and the the problem is twofold. Um, Alfred Adler was a contemporary of Freud. I looked him up, and I because I kind of want to get an idea of what his school of thought was, and like his his focus was on like the inferiority and superiority complexes and like how those sort of form schizophrenia in terms of like wants and needs. Um, So this is a really inaccurate reading of his theories. And also the, what Detta Odetta has is not even schizophrenia. This is, and I'm I'm guessing it's like multiple 
personality yeah, disorder. Yeah, it's, it's DID, which was formerly known as multiple personality disorder. Oh, so, what does DID stand for then? Uh, dissociative identity disorder. When did they? It, is that a eighty eighty a change? Mm-hmm. Huh. When did, uh, it, that must have been uh, in the most recent revision then, or uh, it's been probably. Or has it been DID oh, it, for a while? It's been a while, but the thing is, is like multiple personality disorder has such a place in pop culture that like it's sort of stuck. Slow, it's yeah, it's kind of stuck. And like now, if you go see that movie um, Split, they use DID, but like all you know what I mean. Like everybody knows it as multiple personality disorder, but it actually is like kind of an inaccurate name. It feels like that uh, George Carlin uh, uh, is shell shocked, and then he transitions all the way to like post traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. <laughs> Right, exactly. Um, so a couple other things about this section. Um, this is our first look at the Lady of Shadows. She seems to be a woman at odds with herself. Uh, she lies to herself very, not even very well, but very sort of like automatically. She, you know, she seems very prim and proper and very concerned about being a good Christian and wants to repress all this hatred that she has boiling in herself, you know, at the mistreatment that she experienced at, at this um civil rights event in Oxford, Mississippi. She is like working hard to repress anything that is negative because she doesn't feel like it's productive. And she tries to kind of like push those feelings aside, which as we all know, when you push feelings down, they have a way of coming out other places, which we'll get into in the next couple of sections. But I also think it's really important that we talk about Odetta Holmes's namesake. I don't know if you know this, but Odetta Holmes is actually named after a real civil rights activist. Oh, no, I did not. Yes. Okay. So she's not they're not like a one-for-one one comparison. It's clearly an homage to her. Odetta Holmes was someone who, oh, she was a singer, and uh, she was called the voice of the civil rights movement by Martin Luther King Jr. Um, she has a totally, totally different backstory, but this story is clearly a nod to her. I tried really hard to see if Stephen King ever like specifically talked about using Odetta Holmes's name, but I couldn't find anything. I also was very curious to see if she had knew about this and what she thought about the character that was named after her, but I couldn't find anything on that. However, if our listeners who know everything <laughs> happen to know if either of those things ever happened, if you would wanted to send me that, I would be fascinated to see what either of these people had to say about it, because it's clearly a nod to her. Um, wasn't, uh, um, now that I'm looking up Odetta Holmes, wasn't she in some um, Disney films? I don't know that I do not know, but I did. I went back and I listened to some of her music and folk is just really not my genre, but she has a beautiful voice. Um, I'm not, she's not going on the Spotify cause I don't like folk, but if I was <laughs> going to listen to folk, she would be the one. It's also uh, interesting that this event took place in Oxford, Mississippi, which was the location of a real civil rights his, uh, event known as the Ole Miss riot of 1962. There were segregationists protesting the enrollment of James Meredith, who was a black U.S. military veteran at the University of Mississippi. And during this, two civilians were killed during this night, this riot that broke out, including a journalist and 300 people were injured, including one of the U.S. Marshals. So I think there's this isn't supposed to be that exact experience because it was in 1962. And what what we're talking about now, like this is all taking place in 1964. But obviously, Mississippi. Mississippi was a place of great unrest during the civil rights movement. So it makes sense that she was there. But I think Stephen King is specifically alluding to these. He's like trying to like really ground this character in 
real things by including a real name, you know, using a real name and real cities of places that have like civil rights historical significance. Which makes the story that much deeper and is actually a, a good way to go for. Um... But, and I think it speaks to the like it speaks to the goodwill that the that author he was had to impart from this. Yeah. So while uh, Odetta lives in this fancy upscale uh, kind of New York place, uh, Detta lives in kind of a dilapidated building in uh, Greenwich Village, which. Now is no yeah. longer dilapidated. I mean, like, movie. is there anything in Manhattan that isn't flossy now? I mean, I oh don't know. Oh, my God. I, don't, I can't afford to live in New York <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> and, and these people from the 80s that could just live there whenever they wanted, you know? Yep. Like, oh, we squatted in this building until the city just gave it to us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, anyway. Uh, so, you know, um, unlike Odetta, who seems to fill in gaps that are missing with uh, without issue... Uh, Detta suspects that something isn't right, and we already get a kind of feeling that she's a little gruff, doesn't know about the Holmes fortune, um, sort of lives a separate life in her dilapidated condo. And then in this little section, we kind of get a perspective of Andrew's view of what's going on here. And basically, uh, Odetta will disappear for uh, lengths of time and not follow her normal routine. And when Andrew asks her about it, uh, sort of says, well, you silly guy, I just saw you yesterday to do the same thing I do every Sunday or every Monday or every Tuesday. And in the meantime, you know, while Detta is sort of in control of Odetta's body, uh, she's getting into fights and, you know, <laughs> causing trouble and and breaking stuff and, you know, doing all kinds of things. So you end up with this... Um, this thing where like Odetta will come back with bruises and and uh, shiners and things like that, and it's because uh, Detta was out brawling on town, uh, <laughs> and Odetta passes it off as oh you know that was just a an accident I slipped here or I slipped there, and then uh, I don't know this is where you start to find out that um, uh, that Detta is sort of like a, a rough around the edges version of. Uh, Odetta in a way that you you weren't expecting at the beginning. Uh, anything to add to that, Rachel? Um, I would say I think, well, for one thing, I think Odetta's head is going to be very crowded soon. Uh, there's already two people up there that's going to, I have a feeling there may be at least one or two more. Uh, it's going to get pretty <laughs> crowded. Um, I think it's interesting that we're learning that Detta, while not as intellectual as Odetta, and that Odetta is able to kind of fill in these blank spots with these very elaborate imagined scenarios. Detta, she, she, in some ways, like she's more street smart, more like instinctually intelligent a little slyer a little more suspicious than odetta what i'm noticing and this is something that kind of carries out throughout the chapter and i don't know if this struck you at all is that we're learning a lot about odetta and detto but it's all from a third party perspective um if you think back to when we were getting to know eddie it was like very much either from Roland's observations of Eddie or what he learned from inside his head or from Eddie's perspective. And the we get a little bit is, of internal voice we from do, these two. But because but she's so unself-aware, we don't really get to dig into who she is in the same way. And yeah, I and I, I feel 
it feels like a more traditional introduction to a character and it feels rushed and a little less deep. And I'm just like anxious for Roland to like start digging through that gray matter because right now she feels very loosely sketched in a way. Whereas Eddie, like I felt like I knew him almost immediately. Yeah. With, with Eddie, you sort of got this feeling of like uh, a street smart greaser kid, you know, and he, growing up yeah. in, in the Bronx. And then with Odetta, you kind of like, you get the backstory, but like they don't bring the parents in right away and you, you're missing some of the other uh, bits and pieces of the pie that make her sort of like a little more two dimensional in it both manners. Feels more like an exposition dump than like a show not tell situation. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it goes in subsequent chapters, but that's kind of something that I was kind of noticing throughout the chapter that I was not loving. So we jumped back for a little bit and found out where Detta lives and that Detta does exist, uh, which also sort of harkens to the voice in Odetta's head. And then we jump back again uh, to <laughs> Odetta and Andrew arriving at the building. And this little scene sort of focuses on the luggage. And I almost dove into this, but Rachel caught me to put me in the right nope, order nope. here. We're there uh, now. Let's do it. <laughs> The the luggage is sort of this description, and I, I actually found this apt uh, for for the time and what was going on in the world. Uh, as as the heir to the the Holmes Dental Company, uh, this entire area, the South, where she was visiting, and um, a number of their uh, the towns in that area are supported mostly by the good jobs that are provided by her inherited company. And this uh-huh. dental company uh, provides work and and uh, so on. And then, unlike someone uh, without means, the people handling her stuff, uh, you know, couldn't reach out and lash out with their anger or frustration uh, or their racism at her. But what they couldn't do to her, they have attempted to do to her luggage. Yeah, the and good they, old boys at Oxford. And they beat it up left and right before putting it in there. And it, it's, you know, it's sort of, it's sort of mean because they also reveal this at about the same time as you reveal that um, Odetta suffered an injury that caused her to lose her legs. So yeah. not only are they roughing up. Um, someone else's luggage because of their race, but they're also roughing up a handicapped person's luggage, which makes it like, I don't know, it's twofold worse than it would be before. And I hate to keep coming back to this sort of discrimination stuff, but unfortunately guys, that's what this chapter is about. And there's, there's a lot of it. It, Man, I, I don't know, Rachel, other than like just being plain offended by people being dicks. Uh, yeah you get anything else out of this Um, but yeah i yeah i mean i guess it's interesting to see how like money and privilege it it, even uh, money is like the great equalizer right you know but still it doesn't doesn't keep the like impotent rage of these angry old you know good old boys of oxford from beating up the luggage and like putting her in her place in a very like passive aggressive way and is Oxford Town Oxford Town? A yeah. Action? Well, like, Oxford is really... Town is a song about Oxford that I think Bob Dylan sings. And so that's like a direct reference to that. Okay. Uh, so moving on, um, we sort of get a little bit of a glimpse of how Odetta lost her legs. Yeah. And uh, as a consequence, um, this sort of defines the split in her personality. Uh, 
uh, as this tragic event occurred, um, uh, a Detta and Odetta sort of broke apart from each other, and one was the other. But they sort of, uh, Stephen King sort of alludes to the fact that Detta may have sort of been there a she little bit. She had only been conscious a few times prior to the the accident with the, in the subway. After that, like, it completely split her mind. Whereas Detta was kind of like... Oh, a first special character. Now, what, uh, Rachel, does it really explain, like, yes. what happened in the subway? And, yeah. and can you go over that? Not without spoiling future chapters. Oh, damn it. Okay. So, anyway, we, we sort of get an idea of uh, how she lost her legs. Um, we also uh, sort of get this little glimpse into Detta a little bit more uh, with this sort of candid scene where uh, Detta is stealing the four special plates uh, from, from you know, her missus, you know, maybe uh, some sort of china cabinet, I guess. I was thinking maybe, kind. yeah, like from an aunt's cabinet. And so there's like some some china they keep for special occasions. And so she calls it the four special. Yeah, and the the language there, yeah. too, is a little, I don't, I don't, eh, I don't care for it. Um, <laughs> Uh, but but anyway, so we find out that Detta sort of has this thing where she likes to smash stuff and uh, masturbate yes. uh, to the destruction. Yeah. And, and this part, you know, I thought was a little bit fun, a little bit uh, awkward uh, as a discussion with a, a female cast member. But um, oh, it's fine. <laughs> it's it's a little bit like um, sort of a visceral like. D- pleasure and destruction at the same time yeah and and it it's sort of something that sort of echoes through the rest of of uh, odetta's descriptions uh throughout this chapter is that uh, she loves like you know breaking stuff and she sort of gets off on it and that's that's her thing so you know some people like uh getting clawed and some people like getting bitten and some people <laughs> like smashing yeah. plates and masturbating so you know what she likes being bad and, and, like, that's what turns her on, right? Because, like, the first thing is, is crushing that plate that was a special plate to someone. The second time, it's, like, clawing a boy's face off after, like, kind of yep. teasing him and getting him going. And the third one, she's, like, shoplifting and masturbating in the cab on the way home. <laughs> I mean... I mean... <laughs> different I strokes different for different folks. <laughs> when you could get away with doing that sort of thing in a cab, but... I mean, it is New York, you know, pre-Giuliani, right? So. No, that's true. Like, everything goes <laughs> in, the, in that time. Um, so that that's more of like a little bit of backstory on um, Detta. And yeah. the boy, the, the description in the car is actually uh, pretty entertaining. Like the <laughs> Stephen King goes into great lengths to, to describe the man's member and it falling away and like uh you know as he's getting clawed in the face like uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> losing its uh its uh frigidity and like she's got some like snide comments she throws at him I guess what was it I, I guess you're not enough to uh uh put out this fire or something like that yeah i i, I just remember it being like a pale comma in his lap yeah pale commas, like... <laughs> so i mean that part, like, I actually, I had to pause for a second and, like, laugh out loud and, <laughs> and go on. And, and so, you know, in, in that manner, I do find uh, Odetta's, like, antics to be entertaining and, like, a completely different take than the rest of the characters that we've been introduced to throughout these the series. So 
uh, I'll give her that. I I, I don't want to beleaguer, beleaguer, whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's safe to say that Odetta would be horrified by Detta's behavior. <laughs> uh, the last thing that Detta's worried about is, like, being a good Christian. Um, I also think it's interesting that Stephen King has ju- chosen to juxtapose, like, naughty bad behavior with sexuality and pain um like because maybe this earliest experience is like during adolescence like there is this weird blending of sex and and bad girl behavior specifically like bad girlhood um yeah yeah. like uh you know i i just detta i said it before detta is like all appetite she's like consuming everything um she's naughty and nasty and she's just like all in we we open this chapter with like quotes from a contemporary of freud and like detta odetta is deeply deeply freudian you know what i mean like what is it odetta is the is it the the super ego who has like a need for perfection and then the o the de- no that's odetta and then detta is the id which is like instinctual desire um you know i gotta leave that all to you i'm not a psych uh psychology major or i mean a- i even well studied i had the- like a couple of psych classes but i also did a little googling because i remembered g- that generally there was like the id the ego and the super ego and i wanted to kind of figure out which correlated to which i knew that detta was the id but i couldn't remember the difference between the ego and the super ego is she kind of also is sort of like the rage of the oppressed personified in that she like targets what she feels to be who she sees to be the oppressor or who odetta would see is the oppressor but odetta insists on like repressing those feelings and being like that's counterproductive i cannot be angry i just need to be strong whereas detta is like all rage well and odetta actually says like uh you know i i you know i don't like those people and like i i want to show them but like that would be unchristianly and even thinking these thoughts is sort of like a bad thing to think right and, and then, like there is this Detta's outlet just like i'm gonna get you and it, like if you remember in the car she starts getting a headache one of one of her headaches that she gets while while repressing this rage and it's like the, it's not that it's actually going anywhere it's that it is so overwhelming that it actually consumes her consciousness and and takes over and then is able to be expressed in this totally uncontrolled way uh so i mean i don't know it's just kind of interesting that like this character that was created from the psyche of a child of what badness is and like and had like warped by adolescence and then has transitioned into targeting very specific oppressive systems like you know white men she hates them as we learn we're learning um but also like capitalism (laughs) you know what i mean that she's (laughs) stealing from stores and then like as a child the people that would be like disciplinarian in her life are also targets of her rage so it's very like this oppressed like all this oppression that she feels in her very perfect persona is expressed through Detta. Yeah. Uh, so in, in that moment, we jump back to Odetta, who uh, whose biggest concern is riding around in a limousine and being portrayed as a limousine liberal, which is, you know, someone who goes out to do the protests, but lives like a comfortable life otherwise and doesn't right. have to get down in the dirt. So because of that, she chooses to, uh, take the subway places so that she can be a normal 
uh, regular person as opposed to some high on the horse rich person, which is why she was in the subway when her unfortunate accident happened. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, again, the statement that she lost her legs and her mind. And mm-hmm. again, referring to the division of Detta and Odetta. Yeah, it's nice to see. I mean, like two things. One, I love her sort of like really soft um, rebellion and that she was like you know, rebelling against her parents who are, have wealth and privilege by wearing jeans and like going on the subway instead of taking a limo. Uh, but then also I kind of I felt like, oh, God, some things never change. Like in, in social justice, like everyone's always striving to be the perfect activist and like not be perceived as not a good activist. And so it's kind of <laughs> funny to see that. I'm like, oh, I identify with this. <laughs> you don't want to be the PETA guy that's caught at the restaurant eating fish. And your only excuse exactly. is like uh, fishes don't have feelings. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so we move on uh, to Odetta and um, her kind of activist and involvement in the movement, and uh, she kind of talks about um, how uh, Rosa Parks sort of inspired her with the uh, uh, "I'm not moving from the back of the bus," right? And uh, and that she feels a little, almost a little bit guilty because. While that inspired her, um, it's also not her really. And uh, even though she wants to be involved with the movement, she sort of feels a. Uh, and maybe I'm not describing this very well, Rachel, but it sort of feels like she feels separate from the movement, even yeah. though she wants to drive the movement forward. And she almost feels like um, that her privilege is sort of kept her away from understanding or being a part of the people that she's she wants to help yep. in a way that um, almost sort of upsets her yeah. and weakens her uh, a feeling of, of bravery and uh, involvement in, in the movement in general, because uh, you know, she's not suffering in the same manner as some of the people that she's standing and holding hands with right. in these protests. Uh, and uh, you know, uh, it, it's, Sort of again the the culture the rich versus the poor business mm-hmm. and like the privilege and so on and that's again back to the riding around in the limousine versus taking the train to yep. somewhere. Yep. Um, I don't know if having more money or less money makes you less of a human being, but uh, some people do feel a bit of guilt for mm, that. Studies show the more money you have, the less empathetic you are. There's, I, I think there's a th- well. Not to diverge too far, but I believe there's a <laughs> threshold um, when you get to a certain level where you start to unrelate to your fellow human beings. Yep. But uh, it's it's up there a ways. You have to get more than just doing good. I'm talking about like the Mercers and the Sheldon Adelsons of the world. Um, oh, well, I think at that point you lose track of actual reality. Yeah, no shit. Ugh. So this is my favorite part of the whole chapter. Are you surprised? I <laughs> know uh, this fits right up your alley. Yeah, Rachel. Yeah. I think that like we've talked a lot about how St- you know Stephen King, despite his best intentions, struggles to write black characters, and but I think this characterization of the process of like getting woke uh, is actually pretty great, and I'm guessing it probably comes from personal experience because I do think he really nails how. In like when you're getting woke, like abstract ideas become personal. 
I think he nails that. And I also think he nails the ideas about how privilege shields you from seeing things. And so when she starts having contact by like going on dates in like less affluent parts of the city and hearing musicians who are, you know, total instruments of social justice and, and wokeness, you know, like she kind of has this connection that like her family, you know, generations past were in chains, like, and that her her brothers and sisters in the South and throughout the U S are like suffering from discrimination. And it like, like a tide, it like pulls you in and you can't unknow it. And I think that, you know, Stephen King does like a really, really excellent job of depicting that experience. Uh, there is something else too, um, where, and we kind of skimmed over this, but this is the introduction of her parents as well. Yes. And her, her dad, um, you know, he he invented these products that eventually uh, made the family rich and wealthy. And there's this sort of um, underlying conflict between her mom and her dad when she wants to know a little bit about their history. And her mom's like, yeah, tell her about the time. And he's sort of like, shush, you know, d we don't talk about that. Like, right. that's not a, a thing anymore. And in a way, maybe that's part of the the issue is that um, her parents have like yeah. buried that time of their life to to uh, keep it hidden and to only enjoy the present and the now and not to think about any of the bad times that they had previously, which, uh, you know, if her parents are oppressing things, you know, like how does that affect their child? And does that then lead to our split personalities slash, you know, conflicts internally that divide you into multiple sections? I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Sort of seems like it. Yeah, I mean, like, her dad had the opposite experience, you know what I mean? Like, he had it, it was personal to begin with, and he's been able to build walls to insulate himself through it. And, like, of course, if he suffered these kinds of injustices, he doesn't want his daughter to. And, you know, we're going to get a lot more about her childhood and stuff that you can see why he might even be extra, you know, protective of her because of things that may have happened, but we won't get specific about it um the other one last thing i want to say about this before we move on to the next section is that um i think it's interesting that her it, her wokeness started with sort of the being inspired by the power of one person's determination like her determination you know rosalie park's determination despite like the law despite knowing the consequences to move that that inspired her and and it just makes me think that there's a chance that perhaps someone else who has a very single-minded determination may um be potentially inspiration for her that it's sort of in her dna to be inspired by people who have very strong-willed single-mindedly focused determination not me any means <laughs> That's it for this section. Uh, so now we cut back to uh, Eddie and Roland on ah, the other side. Ah, our boys, um, the odd the couple. Uh, we've gone back and forth in Detta and Odetta's history, and now we're back to these two who are still at the precipice, gun-loaded, pointed at uh, Roland. And, and you know, uh, Roland is kind of like letting Eddie figure it all out for himself. He has this internal dialogue where he sort of thinks like, Eddie's a smart guy, a smart kid. He'll he'll get this eventually. He's got some got some brains in there, and and then Eddie verbalizes this thought of this gun's not going to do me any good anyway, is it? Because if I shoot you, Roland, uh, uh, basically 
uh, you when you go this this whole uh, whole section disappears and uh, uh, Roland sort of is like yeah you, you got me kid and at the same time they're sort of both also uh, gazing in as uh, Detta decides to go on like a little bit of a I guess shoplifting spree yes <laughs> and and there's this sort of weird thing like um so. As a reader, you know already that uh, 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 Detta and Odetta are in a wheelchair, but Eddie and and Roland haven't quite figured this out yet. And to Eddie, this sort of feels like as he's looking through the doorway, seeing what's going on, sort of has this feeling that it's like uh, uh, what they call a steady cam in the movies. Yeah, uh, you know the same thing you used in this in Star Wars or The Shining. Uh, they roll around. Or, or, am I inserting Shining in there? And that was not a the case, or no? Was it just Star the, Wars? Uh, he said Star Wars, but I mean, The Shining is. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's I it's not I, wrong. It's not mentioned. It's not name checked. But I think I name checked that myself for some reason <laughs> yeah. when I was reading this, just because of all the steady cam shots in The Shining. I don't know why, and it's a Stephen well, King. Well, and like Stephen King, super butt hurt about that movie. He didn't like that movie, so I doubt he would mention it. Yeah. Which is so, crazy, but... Okay. They, they mentioned Star Wars. Let's just leave it at that. Uh, no mention of the other thing that I threw in there. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, so at first it's unnerving, and they kind of mention that normally a person's gait gives you a little bit of movement that you just sort of get used to when they're walking. Uh, but uh, finally they they sort of... It dawns on them that, uh, wait, this is very smooth movement because uh, uh, Detta is in a wheelchair uh, mm-hmm. rolling about. And meanwhile, while they're watching this, sort of having this, like, little realization party, <laughs> Detta is just, like, going through the shopping uh, uh, and stealing, like, cheap, crappy jewelry. Like scooping it into her purse. And then, like, being really sassy with everybody that works there. Like, yeah. you know, um, uh, like, being really kind of rude and mean and, like, yeah. I'm going to pay with cash. Like, of course I am. You know, you don't think I got the money and, like, being sort of sort of um rude uh, yeah rude but also <laughs> like um sort of like the uh the a shoplifting young kid and like that is not a young kid but it's sort of like the attitude of like uh what i would expect from like a 15 to 18 year old in a shopping store and and then too uh, the uh, stephen king kind of chooses to focus on like the cheap jewelry Mm-hmm. And then, like, this sort of harkens back to the feel of the cheap white panties on the ground and, mm-hmm. like, the other cheap things that uh, Detta enjoys. And yeah, Reje- particular... the rejection of Od- of Odetta's wealth. It's like Yeah, that, exactly. There's sort of an emphasis thing. on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you're thinking about um, Odetta being ashamed of of herself for not really – living the life that uh, others in the movement live, uh, uh, Detta is sort of uh, doing that for her in a way and, like, living that sort of close to the ground, in the the rough, you know, rejection of wealth, stealing cheap stuff, loving to be mean to people uh, sort of (laughs) lifestyle that that she's missed out on. Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, that part, like, it's sort of a a good contrast between the two. Um, As in... The contrast also flows back into Eddie and Roland a little bit with this conflict that's going between them of uh, of the the, um, the sort of hostage taking of the, the door and whether or not Eddie you know, can get his way and go score some some uh, drugs some heroin on the other side 
mm-hmm. of old New York. Uh, anything you want to add to that, Rachel? Or Well, I do think they have some interesting interactions here. Basically, Eddie figures out that he can't get through the door without Roland. And, but Roland can go in her head, but he can't get physically through the door. And so at first he tries to like negotiate and promise to come back. And Roland's like, no, you're going over there to fix. I'm on to you. And he tells Eddie that like that part of your life is over until after the tower. After the tower, I don't care what happens to you. But until we get to the tower, you're done with that. And Eddie calls him out saying like, you know that my chances of survival are basically zero if either going to the tower or once we get there. And this, you know, like Roland can't really deny that that's the case and he can't help but feel a little guilty. Eddie's rightly calling out that his chances of survival are so low, but like, of course, not not enough to stop. But like Roland tries to like sweeten the pot a little bit, you know, by by like saying the kinds of things that would seduce him, right? You know, like he promises Eddie that he has a quest. He has a reason to live for, you know, and as long as there's a quest, there's a reason to go on. And, you know, it's an opportunity for him to have an adventure and to become a gunslinger, and, you know, reclaim his honor, which is like the nuclear option for, 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 uh, for Roland. But for Eddie, like, you know, he's just not that worried about reclaiming his honor. And he has a very, complicated feeling about gunslingers because to him gunslingers equate to henry who was a gunslinger in nom you know what i mean and like mm-hmm. the the payoff for being a gunslinger and solely doing this honorable thing was to become this heroin addict and i think it's an interesting choice to have them be a soldier in nom because it's such a like like especially in the 80s the ideas about like the soldiers coming back was very fraught very complicated like we didn't have the same ideas about our veterans at that point as we do now where we kind of like white hat them and and you know support the troops which is good i'm not saying it isn't but like it's an interesting choice to have his model of what a gunslinger is be something so complex and and fraught (laughs) well and really if you think about roland as a character like he is complex and fraught and uh you know sending kids to their death and uh shootouts that end in the deaths of entire towns except for he doesn't think of it as being complex and fraught like he has a very like white hat idea about like if you have a quest like everything is rationalized you know what I mean? Well, I mean, I guess that's sort of the the war description for right. uh, Eddie. You know, it, it's it's like everything that happened that was bad in in Nam was uh, uh, because they had a quest, and then the one goal blinded all other interactions. You know, yeah. But see, Roland thinks that's justification and makes it okay, and Eddie thinks that it's bullshit that it, and thinks it's just fl- like flimsy justification. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, and you're right. Um, and that's where this conflict continues between the two. Uh, from here, uh, basically, uh, Eddie hands him back the gun, right? Right, because what the fuck is he going to do with the gun? Yeah, because it's basically worthless to him. He goes through the negotiations, like you mentioned, and then from there, it's basically... Uh, well, is there anything else you want to add well, before I would say, I, we just jump to the cliffhanger? I mean, which is... yeah, I think at this point it's just like roland decides to call his bluff oh no no there is one other thing that's really important is that that uh eddie eddie like to roland's surprise 
um, Eddie calls out Cuthbert, Cuthbert by name. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, so, and he's like, "Where uh, did Cuthbert's earn it or unearn get him?" You know what I mean? Which like shocks Roland that Eddie knows, but apparently he's been like fucking in his sleep a little bit. Yeah, um, and you know maybe one of the fever dreams, possibly, uh, which Eddie does reference. Like maybe I'll just feed you to the lobsters is sort of um, harken to yeah. the fever dream time. So that that's fairly likely that. Uh, uh, that uh, that's what he was referring to. I, but, I I also really like how sort of raw and freaking honest this com- this relationship has become. You know, like you know, I know it's partially to do with the fact that like he is all need and addiction right now. But like, unlike with Jake, Roland doesn't even bother to lie to Eddie. You know what I mean? When Eddie says <laughs> like, "I'm probably gonna die," where did Cuthbert's honor get him? Like all this stuff, like. You know, he in the past, Roland would have told him, like, you know, whatever he thought the kid needed to hear. So I don't know. Maybe this honesty kind of bodes well for Eddie that Roland's not even bothering to lie. I don't know. Yeah, uh, maybe. Uh, So the cliffhanger here is that uh, uh, Eddie basically grabs Roland's knife and puts it to his throat. And Roland says, fuck it. I'm going to stop this girl from shoplifting. And we leave on a cliffhanger of her hands freezing as she's trying to pile cheap jewelry into her bag and Eddie with a knife over Roland's throat. Uh, and you'll have to wait till the next exciting. Same bad time, same bad channel. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, uh, you know, overall uh, thoughts on this chapter, like uh, the the masturbation wasn't really that big a deal for me, but mm-hmm. I found the, the racism a lot more appalling than I thought yeah. I would. Uh, going through it uh, what about you rachel like this isn't my favorite chapter and again i probably would have skipped over it if uh, i didn't have to do this it's it's very it's a very uncomfortable chapter for you it's like i think the overt racism and for me which i don't like right don't get me wrong but it's like more the like tone deaf way that stephen king writes black people is really challenging for me (laughs) yeah i don't know man i i like that roland has managed to continue to grow his like his motley crew he's got a junkie and a shoplifter you know call works in mysterious ways um but yeah this chapter is it's not my favorite i've been dreading it uh i think the susanna of it all will make it worth it but this part is tough um like i get i understand and i I can already hear people typing letters to me but like i understand that odetta and Detto are partially really shallowly written intentionally because they're both each a half of a whole and you know but i just it's so tough like why does she have to like people are complex you can be there can be two sides of a person without it being 50 percent of the person you know what i mean like there could still be a depth of each of these characters and it would be more interesting if they were more fully formed um I talked about earlier how I really didn't like the way that the, that uh, the way that we're getting to know her feels much more like telling than showing. Um, and I preferred the way we really dug into the character of Eddie that we just never, I mean, I don't believe we ever really do with her, but I could be wrong. My memory could be incorrect. I'll find out in subsequent weeks and eat my words if necessary. Um, but you know, I think the thing is, is like, you know me, I can turn the tiniest crumb of character development into something, but I really struggled this week, um, which I think is telling, especially it's like a female character. This is my jam, right? But I, 
Yeah, so I don't know. The last thing would be just sort of like in terms of writing about mental illness, this depiction with the un- incorrectly named DID is like it's a little problematic. It's not terrible. Well, this one but is it's from seventy eight though. So yeah, I mean, like, I'm grain of salt. At the time, maybe it. it was a little bit more. Uh, yeah. Uh, but it's on, 2017 on... now, so. <laughs> what well, do you do? You want a, dra- a, a revision of this? No, no, no. That I'm just saying. The times? I can't. I can like. I'm willing to give some leeway. You know that it was written in. So like, I'm not like, you know, gonna crucify King for it. But I can't help but interpret this through my 2017 eyes. So like, I while I don't hate him or think less of him as a person, I have to be critical as I am today. I cannot be critical as I would be at, in 1987, if that makes sense. Yeah. So like I can, I can separate those two things and like, yes, this was 1987, but we're reading it now and our, the audience is reading it now. So we have to talk about it in terms and like through the cultural perspective of 2017. That's my, that's the way that I approach it. I'm not saying it's the right way, but that's, that's my approach. I would say to make this chapter better, um, more masturbation jokes, less overt racism, <laughs> and it would be funnier to my 2017 brain. Fair enough. I'll like I will meet you there all day. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So because I was kind of um, feeling very having very complex feelings about the Odetta Odetta characters, I reached out to our wonderful listeners on the Facebook group. I've talked about this a lot, and I'm going to keep talking about it because it's dope. We have an awesome Facebook group full of really smart, like super engaged people who are just as nerdy and in love with this series as we are. So it's super fun to hear them talk about them, see all the cool stuff they're posting, but also they're a great resource when I'm having feelings and I like kind of just want to take the temperature of the, of the fandom. So I put a question on the Facebook group asking them how they felt about the Deda Odetta character. And I grabbed a couple samples of what people Think, and I do think there is sort of a trend here. So Katie said, I lean towards the problematic, but I did notice during the last reread that Eddie's that Eddie addresses her stereotypical quote ghetto-ness very frankly in the drawing of three. This leads me to think that Detta Walker's personality and stereotype are a deliberate device on King's part, maybe to more plainly delineate her duality. Regardless, it comes off as tone deaf to me now. And I, I, I pretty much agree with Katie. I think she's right on with that. Jennifer says... You asked about character development as compared to Roland and Eddie, and I think she's more shallow. I came to really like Susanna, but that was because how she acted within the quartet with the rest of them. Her backstory didn't give me a lot uh, to like for her, in contrast to Eddie, who I thought was compellingly drawn from the start. I didn't just pick these quotes because they agree with me. (laughs) (laughs) And then Leroy, our buddy Leroy, says... Looking at Detta Odetta with a 2017 mindset, her exaggerated stereotype is problematic at best. We are 30 years since its original publication, but Odetta Detta is very clearly a plot device used to build to Susanna. In 1987, the exaggerated stereotypes were common at that time that Odetta Odetta characters were commonplace. Uh, King is also a movie buff and movie stereotypes would have been one of his main exposures to any ethnic culture. And I think that's very clear. (laughs) So, so yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, the consensus is that Odetta Detta is not great. And I could understand first time readers reaching this in 2017 and being really turned off by these characters, but I would say stick with it. There are better things down the road. You may change your mind. 
but and the fandom seems to agree all right plans for next week for those of you who want to avoid the spoilers that shall commence after this we're going to be reading lady of shadows chapter two ringing the changes we'll see you in two weeks Thanks. Uh, if you have any thoughts you want to share about this chapter, any maybe you came to a different conclusion, I would love to hear consenting opinions. Or if you just want to agree with me, that's fine too. You can send us feedback lots of different ways. You can send us emails to castofcaw at zombiegirls.com. You can leave us a voicemail at what one six seven eight six nine four seven seven five nine or you can find us on our facebook group which i have alluded to i may have mentioned it not sure uh but we have a really awesome facebook group that we would love for you to join the conversation and if you're enjoying the show leave us a review on itunes all right so spoilers spoilers are commencing all right if you're still here that means you like spoilers so all bets are off deal with it yes 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 okay so is there anything you want to talk about? Oh, let's do our dream casting. Let's start with that. I have connections to the Stephen King universe first, but I'm going to switch oh, I it I forgot up. to even like think about casting. Oh, no. Do you need a minute? No, no, that's fine. I'll just do it on the fly. Uh, Shrek in any new movies recently, so maybe he could be Andrew. Well, we're casting Detta. Detta Odetta. I still stand by my statement. Uh, <laughs> you want Mike Myers to be the... Mike Myers is Andrew. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's fair. Now, how about Detta Odetta? Who would you pick? Uh, I don't know. Um, uh, part of me w- kind of goes to uh, Will Smith's wife. Uh, oh. Remember? Okay, so I know that's a weird, a little bit of a, a weird one, but remember her in Demon Knight? Oh, yeah. She was such a, like, a tough, but not tough i mean she went back and forth across the line really well and like that sort of attitude brought to a character like this would probably breathe a little more life into the otherwise sort of two-dimensional nature yeah i love jada pinkett smith so that's a that's a really interesting choice yeah i could see that like i could see her in both roles that's a good one so I put this out to the Facebook group and we got some interesting ideas. Uh, Katie suggested Gugu Mabatara. Um, she was in Belle and a handful of other things. She's very beautiful. I think she's a perfectly good suggestion uh, and was definitely not someone I had thought of. So that was cool. Leroy suggested Octavia Spencer, who is an incredible actor, but I think might be a little too old. Gigi and Mario both suggested Rutina Wesley, who did you ever watch True Blood? Uh, no. Oh, well, she was one of the main characters on True Blood. Um, she was Sookie, Sookie Stackhouse's best friend, Tara. Tara was pretty great. So I think that's a, an interesting choice. Slagoth suggested Soniqua Martin-Green, who is Sasha on Walking Dead. And she's like the new, the main character on the new Star Trek show. I don't know if you know, have you seen any of those trailers? There's Is that out yet? I thought that was still in production and hadn't. Oh, the trailers made. came out because it was, it was called the con. There's oh. two trailers. You should check them out. It looks dope. Like, it looks really good. Hmm. But, I, yeah, she's great. That's another good choice. And then a handful of other people, including Leah and Slagoff, had my idea, which I thought was so genius and out there, which is Ruth Nega. Do you know who that is? No idea. I'm having to look all these people up as Did you Did you watch any of Preacher? Uh, No. Okay, well, she plays Tulip on Preacher, which is really good. The second season's getting really good. She's, she sort of has the uh, the look of Jada Pika Smith in, in she that, does in this in a younger format, I think. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, I think we're kind of on the same page, like in the way that we're envisioning her. But I, I love Ruth Nega. She's so great in Preacher, and I really liked her when she was on a, a Agents of Shield. She was kind of a, she was like the woman in the flower dress. Um, you know, yeah. a part, a part of me like it, it'd be weird, but I kind of think it'd be fun too, is to get. Um... Uh, uh, what's her name from Salt and Pepper to, to do it? No, you know, uh, 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 Queen Latifah. From Salt and Pepper? You think Queen Latifah's in Salt and Pepper? Wait, I always thought she was in uh, Salt and Pepper. No, no. Nope. I thought, like, when they did the Push It Real Good song, that no, that was her. You're you're confusing Peppa with, with, with uh, Queen Latifah. Two very different women. Man, then I don't know any Queen Latifah songs. Uh, All I'm familiar with are her romantic comedies. <laughs> oh my god! I don't know. I still think that'd be fun if Queen Latifah did it. She's hey, like, seems to be like filling in a lot of different roles, and she and is maybe, a badass. I threw her in because we were sort of um, picking uh, a thinner petite ladies, but there is no real description of that is true of, of what size or shape that. Uh, our our gal is in and Odetta and Detta could very well be like tall, medium build or whatever. And I'm just, I, you know, I was going through trying to type in all the names that you're picking out and like skinny girl, skinny girl, yeah. skinny girl, you Welcome know, to like, Hollywood, <laughs> all, all cute and like traditional beauty. But like, I was like, well, you know, maybe right. it'd be better to break that mold. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Not. No, I like it. You know what? I'm sign. I'm co-signing this Queen Latifah choice for so... all those reasons. I I applaud that choice. Nice. <laughs> all right. So that's good. Okay. Dream casting. We've decided it's either going to be Ruth Nega or Queen Latifah. Either of those are acceptable choices. Um, okay, so connections to the Stephen King universe. Now, I alluded to this at the beginning, and it was actually, like, we're going to depart a little bit and do sort of a crackpot fan theory. And I've been on, like, a little bit of a crackpot fan kick because... Um, you we, discovered Reddit? Well, that, and also because we're doing that that cast, uh, or Game of Thrones podcast, Dame of Castamere. So, but one of the really fun things about Game of Thrones is, like, because, like Dark Tower, it has, like, a really deep um, mythology. And so people can, like, come up with the craziest crackpot theories there were. So I did a roundup on the first episode of all the craziest crackpots. Like, you know, this character is actually a merman or whatever. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So this is a crackpot theory that I discovered on Reddit. And it... The way that it connects to this episode is it's about John F. Kennedy and like the assassination of JFK, right? So this is someone's theory that John Farson, who we know as the good man from The Gunslinger, Mm -hmm. is actually JFK. What? Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. So this is from Cardslinger1989 on Reddit. The idea of this, and um, just to warn you, this may be spoilers for 11 but the idea is that the assassination of JFK is actually the will of call, and preventing it would actually be doing the work of the Crimson King, because if he isn't assassinated, then the Vietnam War wouldn't have happened, and then Henry Dane wouldn't have been drafted, and Eddie would not be where he needed to be to be drawn into the three... Thus, making Roland unsuccessful in getting to the tower and doing all the things that he needs to do that right. Mm -hmm. Okay, so 
This theory, theory actually goes like a step further and explains how JFK became John Farson. Basically, what we know is that a traumatic death can actually cause people to transport between worlds. And um, like we saw that sort of thing happen with Jake when he like fell to his death and was like, oh, there are other worlds in these. Okay. An assassination, a violent assassination like he experienced, definitely qualifies. So once he got here, he would have to adjust to this new world, which, I mean, would be difficult for anyone, but especially for someone who was previously the leader of the free world. And inevitably, he would come to resent the theocracy of Gilead and would be able to use sort of his charm and charisma and his, you know, being a man of the peopleness to rally people to his cause and you know someone who believes so strongly in democracy would would naturally believe that overthrowing roland's father would be a good thing so this sounds super crackpotty but if you remember back in the gunslinger there is some evidence for this when hax is in the kitchen talking about the assassination he actually quotes sort of an altered version of the famous jfk line in this case he says ask not what the good man will do for you but what you can do for the good man that's actually uh, that last one is probably more convincing portion of the argument than the rest of it yes okay so then there's somebody else let's see here lee lee wood legend on reddit has additional quote-unquote proof for this theory okay so this post by lee wood legend actually addresses one of the holes in the original theory specifically that jfk as we know him and the way that king writes him would not be the type of man who would willingly condone the slaughter of a bunch of children. Um, it seems very unlikely that the JFK uh, that we know and the way that King writes him would be willing to have hacks poison a bunch of kids. So what could make him do something like that? We actually know. Uh, it is the grapefruit. In Wizard and Glass, we know that Rhea of Coos is holding a glass oh, for yeah. Parson yeah, okay. for, quote, safekeeping. Uh, we also know that the grapefruit has an effect on anyone who sees it. Uh, they begin obsessing about it and craving it, and it actually whispers to them. So if JFK, now Farson, is in its thrall, it's possible <laughs> that he could be. it could be what's controlling him. A little more context. Later in Wolves of Kala, when the Kazakh runs into Father Callahan, who has the Black 13 ball, uh, he also has a desire to go back and prevent the assassination of JFK. And, you know, maybe that's not his idea after all. Maybe it's the Crimson King by way of Black 13 telling him to, he should go back and uh, stop the assassination. Callahan also coincidentally refers to Kennedy as a good man and warns that the ball, um, the way it works is it like lures people to do <laughs> evil things by suggesting they do something good. So, I don't know. I don't know. There's some evidence there. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, it's possible. I mean, uh, I think it's an interesting, interesting take, if nothing else, on uh, on the whole. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, when I hear the good man, I always kind of sort of harken back to like maybe the man in black masquerading. Oh yeah, I mean, it could very well be that. It's just kind of a fun, like, alternative theory. Because, like, if all things are connected, maybe, like, Stephen King suddenly was seeding these things in there. Yeah, it's possible. And uh, that's actually, uh, the again, the quote from the the cook. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's probably <laughs> the best of, of all of those. Yeah. And I don't know if that was subconscious on Stephen King's part or uh, 
if that is maybe something he's that like he modeling yeah like maybe he's modeling him after him and, and then it just kind of now it kind of lays a foundation for a fun crackpot and i guess theory. the rejection of like that monarchy sort of lifestyle would be a, a jfk type of thing in, in an easy manner for uh you know uh, something to be turned in a dark dark way towards what was already existing as like a force for good in that particular world right well, i mean because we know that farson had the grapefruit right so we don't yeah. we don't know how we got it but like he was someone that was twisted by having it and he used jfk's line so i don't know i think it's pretty compelling i mean it's crack body but compelling i'm giving okay. it like a, i'm giving it like a 50 50 shot of being true but i love a crackpot theory and you're a conspiratorial kind of dude so i figured you'd be into it yeah, some of these, though, like, I would really have to sit down and, like, follow all the threads and really think about every single... Yeah, you know. all right. Should we talk movie news? Okay, movie news. Uh, we A new trailer dropped, I believe. Is that correct? And uh, That is correct. Did you watch it? I did, and um, I like it a lot better than the first couple of trailers. Yeah, yeah. They're getting um, better. They're, like, working out the kinks with the marketing. Well, it's less... The first couple of trailers seem to f- focus a lot on, like, floating bullets and, like, magic. Yeah. And this one's more like, uh, you know, it's you still have that stupid uh, scene where he's, like, throwing the bullets in the air and catching them all in a six-pack in his gun. Yeah. But you cut to some more stuff and the more worlds than these and, like, mm-hmm. uh, the, the scene of the man in black walking about. Um, you see the breakers. It, yep, exactly. And, like, it's... It's a little cooler. Like if you had a if you had opened with this, I'd have probably been more positive about the movie to begin with. Right. So I have questions about this trailer. If we have this is a cycle, right? Yeah. What happens to the beams? Do they reset? I don't know. And if they reset, is this not a foolproof way of preventing the beams from being destroyed? <laughs> I'm just asking the questions. I don't, uh, you know, I don't have an answer for any of these. <laughs> I feel like uh, I would just ramble for a few minutes and provide very little value in 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 those. So think uh, about it, it. If the beam resets, it. then like you've basically solved the problem of the destruction of the beams because they just like turn on again. And if the beams reset and him ending the resets, would that not make Roland? the real villain all along <laughs> uh... i'm kidding <laughs> too far too crack potty but i do want to know what the fuck happens with the beams when the cycle restarts i mean is that why some of the beams are broken and we don't have beam quakes or is it i don't know i don't know <laughs> As somebody out there if you have the answer what happens to the beams when the cycle restarts that's what i need to know I, so the problem for me, Rachel, is I'm far enough removed from the later books that I would have to like sit down and reread some stuff to like really put my beam theory together. Again. All right. Well, then in like, and so, a year from now, when we're like done with the books, I'm going to ask you this question again. Yeah. Save what this happens one. to the beams when the cycle begins again? <laughs> if Roland stops him from resetting. Does that mean this is the final approach and, like, if they lose, they've basically destroyed everything? And yeah. Then... Is is the man in black actually, like, the snape of it all? Hmm. 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 
Think double about cross, it. Triple cross, triple cross, <laughs> double cross. You don't even know where I'm coming from anymore. I got so many crosses. Exactly. And that's why he's all saucy with him when they're, he's like, we've done this so many times before. It's because mm. he's like, you know, because I'm always making you reset this thing. I'm just mm. saying. It's just an alternate theory. I'm just saying it has nothing to do with the fact that I figured out how to use Reddit, that I now have all these ideas. <laughs> was this your your invention? or did Yeah, this no, from... I was watching it, and like, there's a scene in it where they show the beams being destroyed, and I was like, but if they reset, do those beams go back? Because it would seem like if they've done this, you know, multiple, multiple times, then there should be no beams left. Oh, man, I hope we don't get the Groundhog's Day of... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> they're just gonna do it again <laughs> the yeah the dark tower just like over and over until he finally <laughs> has the perfect day yeah uh, right that's what i'm S- saying like save the girls got all the beams took care of the man in black jake has a new home living with his rich dad and in, in paying York. child support to my spider baby yep <laughs> all right cool so next update okay so we have a tv show update idris ilba has confirmed that he is going to be a part of the show if it yeah, goes that forward. That part's exciting, actually. Yeah, and the first episode scripts have been written. I hope that actually means they do something with this because, yeah. uh, as I've mentioned multiple times in this cast, like this as a, a television show would have a lot more depth uh, than yep. as a movie, and I, I fear that the movie may squash the. Uh, the future production of a television series, which yeah. I think would do the series way more justice than a single movie. Maybe we'll get lucky and this will be like uh, Stargate branching out uh, a 10 or 11 <laughs> season series with like multiple spinoffs. I know, right? Well, like that'd be crazy if like the, say like the movie tanks and the show is a hit. Like they're like, well, we are not going to cancel the show. Maybe we just, Go into the gunslinger. It happened chronologically next. (laughs) (laughs) Which I would not be mad at. Uh, Okay, so the other update is we now know the rating and runtime of the movie. Is this going to be a three-hour slog, or what's time on this, Rachel? It's going to be a PG-13. Oh. 95 minutes runtime. Oh. <laughs> oh, this does not bode well. That, that is a, a short run and a PG rating? PG-13. Thir- oh, well, it's a little better. I guess these days they let a lot more slide in the PG-13 category yeah. than they used to, but that means like not much more than like minor violence and like yeah. shooting. Again. And it's a gunslinger yeah. movie. You know, like you're, you're murdering people addicted to the grass and like, you know. Yeah, I wanted to see I wanted to see like some gore. Right. Yeah. And you got like you got plenty of like vampires and monsters and, you know, everything else going on. Like, how do you how do you do that in a PG-13? I don't know, dude. It's it's again the Marvel location. This this movie. It's making me nervous. So in response to this news and everyone being like, are you fucking kidding me? Ninety five minutes um stephen king says it's like the first book all killer and no filler <laughs> but i assume he's getting back end on this so i don't know if he's a, a reliable resource for this as far as this movie and where the marketing budget should go uh, obviously it hasn't gone into uh well thought out trailers so no. there's there's your snap and burn <laughs> there um the movie's been delayed what twice now yeah 
which uh, likely indicates uh, the more common practice of re-edits and changes in posts, which means that people are fighting over the direction of the plot and how the movie's put together. Uh, It's gotten a PG-13 rating, which means that they've skimmed out some of the things that they could have otherwise made it a little bit more dramatic. Again, I'm nervous about the film. Uh, Does it forebode well? Uh, You know, everybody brings their positive game to the table, but uh, (laughs) yeah, uh, will these scripts that are popping out uh, left and right for a television series actually materialize? Will this film even resonate with the fan base, considering how far from the norm it falls inside of the uh, Dark Tower series? Yeah, uh, all, uh, all these things are foreboding, and um, I am just depressing myself by saying. <laughs> all right. Well, we have some listener mail, but we're already past the two hour mark. So, yeah. what do you say we we save save it? We'll do a special mailbag next week, maybe with a couple because we just got one really awesome letter. To be fair, from Leroy, but I think maybe we'll just do like a proper section with a few other ones if they come in next week. Sound good? Sounds good. Because I don't know about you, but my voice is going, and uh, well, I don't... Yeah, I'm ready for a beer. It's eight thirty, and Ooh, uh, it's, that's a it's, great idea. It's watch some. Um, I've got Star versus the uh, the uh, dark dark whatever the Nickel or the um, Disney series. All right, let's wrap this sucker up so you can go get that beer and watch your cartoon. All right, <laughs> so we'll be back in two weeks with our review of the Lady of Shadows, Chapter Two ringing of the changes plus of course our thoughts on a little movie called the dark tower that will be out by then Mm. if you have any feedback for this episode uh you want to join in we're gonna do a mailbag special next week uh in addition to our regular reviews you can send emails to castofclawszombiegirls.com you can leave us a voicemail at 1-678-694-7759 if you don't want to leave us a voicemail instead you just want to send me an mp3 recording that works too um you should join our group on facebook it is awesome and if you're enjoying the show do us a solid go to the itunes or maybe you're on stitcher Stitcher's good too however you get your podcast leave us a review all right until two weeks from now, where else can they find you on the internet, DJ? As usual, you can find me at DSLRFilmNoob.com. You can find me uh, on YouTube as One Lone Dork or DSLR Film Noob. You can also find me on the Splattercast, uh, occasionally joining Rachel, uh, although <laughs> our shows are sporadic at best because uh, uh, we do all kinds of weird stuff. Uh, also, uh, I am available on the DSLR Film Noob podcast on Twitter at DSLR Film Noob and anywhere cameras are advertised you'll see my smug face with a lens camera body or something else as always thanks for watching and if you want to see some of his awesome camera work you can purchase several movies lensed by one mr dj on (laughs) amazon prime (laughs) yes uh my back catalog has been made available uh Despite my utter protests, so, so you, can, <laughs> you can go watch all the feature-like films that I have worked on over the years. Check out my IMDb page for more information. That is DJ Sharton, D-E-E-J-A-Y. Sharton like your poop in your pants. <laughs> oh, my God. How do I even follow that? You can find me online at uh, on the Splattercast with DJ occasionally when he's not pooping his pants. Um, on the Zombie Girls podcast, on the Stream Queens, on the Dames of Castamere, or you can speak to me directly on the Facebook group. All right. <laughs> See you in two weeks, fools. Bye. Bye.